0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. <clears throat> and we gather to hear these words, to continue to celebrate the good news of the resurrection, to explore what that means in our lives, and to let it transform us. And we ask that today we would be transformed, and that we would be encouraged to respond to these words and to live a life that you've called us to live. We ask this in your Son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Last week, we left with a sermon, or with a, we left the sermon, and we left Sunday with a question. And that question was something that we all needed to answer even if it's something that you've been answering since the beginning of the day you were confirmed or even before that. And the question is, are you going to come to the mountain of God? And are you going to live along the way of Jesus? Are we going to respond to the good news that Jesus defeated sin and death? And are we going to follow him into freedom? Those are the questions we needed to ask. Now this week we're going to re- explore those questions again but from a different perspective. Last week, the celebration was about Jesus's tomb being found empty. The good news that he was risen from the dead and that the tomb was empty and that his body was not left in death. But now we get a look at the people who learned from Jesus, who traveled with him, who were with him those years in Galilee and in Judea around Palestine, who were the first ones or some of the first ones to see him after he was resurrected from the dead, who spent the most time with him after that happened, and those who saw him leave. We get to consider what these people have to do with our lives and if what they saw has any bearing on us. Because that's what we have in the New Testament, we have those testimonies in what those early disciples of Jesus saw. So, to answer these questions, to look again at the answer of well, the question of, well, are we going to respond and what do these lives have to do with our life? We get a look at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. So, if you want to follow along either in the Pew Bible or in the Bible you brought, or it will be on the screen. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. So in the Pew Bible, that starts on page 1546. But we're going to take a look at this together. So this is how it opens up. In John chapter 20, verse 19, this is where he starts. He says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders... Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So we start here. And what we don't know is in verse 18, Mary Magdalene had seen Jesus risen from the dead. And now John says, okay, that was in the morning of the first day. So now it's the evening of the first day. Mary sees Jesus, a couple of his disciples see the tomb empty, then they go back and now they're all together. They're behind a locked door. And now Jesus appears to the rest of his disciples and he says to them, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So not only does he stand among them, And he doesn't just make a social visit, but he actually proves that he's the same person. He says, look, here's the wounds from the cross. You can still see them. It's me. And then he says this, he says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins... Their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So now Jesus says to his disciples, he says, look, I'm coming and I'm showing you who I am, but I'm not just coming to visit. I'm coming to give you a job. And so he says, now you are going to take up the mantle that I've been living. I've been going around. I've been forgiving sins. I've been doing this work of the kingdom. But now and he breathes on them an image of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, whereas Luke and Acts, Holy Spirit comes in the Acts story at Pentecost. But John has this other Holy Spirit story. And the reason is because for John, he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit, and he's not gonna get all the way to Acts in that. He does not gonna go that far in his gospel. So he has this moment where Jesus is breathing on his disciples signifying, I'm giving you the spirit I talked about, this helper, and now I'm sending you to do the work in the world. So he's giving them the responsibility. So this is important for us to notice. Because as we ask, well, what do these first disciples, what bearing do they have on our lives? Jesus passed his work on to them. So as we look at them, the work that they do, and the New Testament is the product of their work. It becomes important for us to listen to them. Because Jesus has given them the job to continue his work. Now, starting with, continuing with verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So Thomas isn't there. And he refuses to believe without seeing Jesus. We've heard the story before. This is how it continues. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So it's a week later. Jesus shows up again. This time Thomas is there. Jesus knows that Thomas needs to see and touch to believe the resurrection. So he offers Thomas the the opportunity. So this is what Jesus says, but notice how Thomas responds. So Jesus says, reach out, touch me, check out my wounds. But now this is how Thomas responds. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Notice Thomas doesn't actually even touch Jesus. Seeing him is enough. But what matters is, is Thomas's response. Now, we tend to give Thomas a bad rap because he needed to see to believe. But remember, all of the disciples needed to see to believe. Because Mary goes and sees the disciples, but clearly they hear this and they're locked behind doors. So they don't know what to do. They're like, his tomb's empty. We don't know where the body is. Mary says she's seen him. They're not out looking for him. They're scared. It's not just Thomas and the rest of them. Once they see, they also believe. So Thomas is no different than the rest of the disciples. So we give him a bad rap. But what Thomas does do is when he sees Jesus, he actually has a different response. His response isn't, oh, we're so glad that you're alive again. His response is, my Lord and my God. So now, for the first time, someone clearly proclaims that Jesus is God in a way that nowhere else in the Gospel of John is it so clearly stated as, now Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. And this is how Jesus responds to Thomas. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But then look what he says. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Jesus recognizes that Thomas and all of the other disciples believe after they see. Because all of them had to see to believe. But he says, the true blessing is for those who have believed without seeing. Now who are those people? It's you and me, right? We're those people. Anybody who reads John's gospel are those people. And then look what John even says. He recognizes this. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He said, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. John tells us, this is why I wrote the book. Not to tell you about the miracles and the signs and the wonders. I only told you about those so that you would know what I saw and the other disciples saw. And you would know that we saw those things so we could share them with you. Not so you could be amazed, But so you could believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So these are the messengers of Jesus' story. The disciples, the men and women who lived with Jesus and saw what he did, and then later told his story. Without them, we don't have the New Testament. Without them, we don't have the story of the resurrection, we don't have the teachings of Jesus. But Jesus said, receive my mission and continue to do my work. They're the reason we even have the opportunity to believe. They saw Jesus' hands. They saw his side. They heard his message. And they responded to his call. And they said, look, this is what we've seen. And now you have to make the decision. Are you going to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God? So again, we're faced with this question. Are we going to come to Jesus? Now, last week we had a reason, and that reason was because the tomb was empty. Now, this week the reason is because all of these men and women saw Jesus resurrected. They touched his wounds, and it changed their lives forever. You know, all these people had jobs, and all of a sudden they become traveling Preachers who travel around the world and lead churches and spread the good news of the gospel. That's what John wants us to consider. He wants us to consider, do we actually believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God? Will we follow him and have life in his name? Now John gives us a reason to really think about this. In the other read book that he wrote that we read this morning in first John chapter one we're pretty sure that these are the same authors and now when you read this it sounds so similar to John's gospel that it has to be someone who is familiar with the same ideas because the same themes and language are used that which was from the beginning right just the first opening chapter of John it's the same idea which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked at and our hands have touched. All of these things from the beginning. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. So John says, the word of life. Now remember, word is something that John uses to describe Jesus. Life is something he uses to describe Jesus. He says, we're pro- proclaiming all these things which we have heard, and which we have seen, and which we have touched. Now this is what We proclaim. That the life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father with the Father, which was with the Father, and which has appeared to us. So John says, Me and my fellow disciples, we have seen Jesus, we have seen the word of God, we have seen the true life and light of the world, and we proclaim to you his message. What we just heard in John's Gospel is John's proclamation. You know, I haven't actually looked it up, but there's a good chance that this was probably written before the Gospel of John. And John says, I've been proclaiming this message. I should probably write it down. But I'm not totally sure. I'd have to look at that. But this is what John says. He says, this is why you should listen to my message. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. And look, this is what he said. He says, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is why we respond to the message. John says, I want you to have fellowship with me and with our creator. Now this word, fellowship, the word is actually the Greek word koinonia, and I don't have it on the screen for you. But the word has a rich meaning. It's associated with friendship. It's associated with communion. Now, we think of communion as, you know, what we do. But where does that word come from? It comes from koinonia. And communion is about being close with someone and sharing with them. It comes, it's the word used often to describe marriage and the relationship of Marriage. It's about close human relationships. Now when we hear the word fellowship, what we think about is going down to the fellowship hall to have a potluck or something. The church is taking this idea of fellowship and it's about being with people. Now that is the idea, but the idea of being with people isn't just to sit around and talk about whatever is on the news or whatever you enjoy talking about. That's not what quininea is about. Koinonia is about spending the afternoon with someone who knows you so well that you don't even have to talk about your life. Now, some of us might know what that feels like, and some of us might not. But that's what Jesus wants all of us to have with him and with one another. To know each other deeply. To have true, deep relationships. And this is what John invites us to. A close relationship with Jesus and his followers. It's a close intimate relationship. And at the center of this relationship is this idea of connection. Being connected. So we can think about it this way. The way of Jesus is about connection with Jesus and his followers. And that's what John invites us to do. To follow. Remember last week I said the way of Jesus leads to the mountain and to that feast. And what is the mountain and what is the feast? It's being in connection with God and with his people. The way of Jesus is about connection with Jesus and his followers. And this is why John gives his testimony. So that we may enter the way of Jesus and find connection with him and with his followers. But why do we find connection? Now we get the answer in this Acts passage. This is what it looked like to be an early follower of Jesus according to the book of Acts. The connection that they shared with God and with others. All the believers were one in heart and mind. They were united. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, and put it at the feet of the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So, this is the picture of the early church, those early Christians. And it was a small movement. But it describes this new community that's gathering around, following Jesus. Now we can idealize this community. And there's people who have. And I'm not going to comment on what it looks like to do this in the 21st century. I think it's not as easy as we'd think. But what we need to see is the message behind it. The message is that the way of Jesus is about connection with Jesus and his followers. And what does this connection look like? It's a connection of harmony. They're one heart and one mind. They were in harmony again. They looked at their neighbors and they saw them as people who had needs. And if they had a way to meet that need, they did it. When I say their neighbors, I mean people a part of the community. People who chose to follow Jesus took care of one another and there was no needs among them. Some of the more uh, controversial governments of the 20th century took these ideas and they tried to apply them across the board. But where those ideas go wrong is when someone doesn't choose to be a part of the community. That's where the breakdown is. But now we see where these ideas come from. and They do come from these influences. There was no idea like this before Jesus of Nazareth brought it to the world. We need to understand that. So the battles of the 21st century about which government is right and is it socialism, is it communism, is it free democracy? These ideas come from Jesus. But what we forget is that Jesus says, follow me. I will transform your heart and I will return you to harmony. Now what this really points to is the garden. The place where we go back to God's goodness, where life is abundant, where God's presence is always enjoyed and where we live in God's wisdom. That's the image, returning to that garden where Adam and Eve tended to the garden but it produced more than they needed. They didn't have to work and toil just to make enough to live. There was abundance because God blessed them. They didn't have to worry about holding on to what they had or accumulating more because they always had what they needed whenever they needed it. So they took what they needed and the idea is that God provides. And this is the idea of these early Christians. The way of Jesus is about connection with Jesus and his followers. Connection with Jesus is about returning to the presence of God. Returning to the garden. Connection with others is about harmony. It's about sharing in God's abundance. And why is all this possible? It's all possible because of what Jesus did on the cross and because he was resurrected and defeated sin and had victory, he brought freedom from sin, death, and evil. And he was able to help us return to the garden. This is what the connection is about. It's about a connection with God that spills over into our, relax- our relationships with others. The way of Jesus is about connection with Jesus and its connection follow or spills out with his followers. So again, we're forced to make this choice. Are we going to follow Jesus? And this time it's not about the empty tune, it's about the men and women who followed Jesus and their lives were radically transformed. and then they shared that with others and invited them into a community the kingdom of God, where God reigned and where God's harmony and wisdom was returned to the world and where our connection with Jesus and with God was returned. So this is the choice we must make. And the choice requires us to connect with Jesus and his followers because the way of Jesus is about connection with Jesus and his followers. There's no avoiding it. You can't follow Jesus without being connected to him and the people who follow him. It's a package deal. But this connection can change our lives. It brings the presence of God back to us. It shows us God's goodness and his wisdom. And it shows us a life of harmony. So the question again is, are we going to follow Jesus? Are we going to jump on his path? Are we going to connect with him and with his followers? That's what John and Jesus are calling us to today. Because the way of Jesus is about connection with Jesus and his followers. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. Can we listen to the words of your Son, as he gives his earliest disciples the mission of taking the good news of the gospel out to the world. And he says, you are my messengers, take my message and invite people to follow me. And then when they follow him, he forms this group of people who live under his kingship and his reign in a world of brokenness. In a word of chaos, Jesus has returned harmony to those who follow him. Heavenly Father, we don't know how that quite looks in our lives in the 21st century. But we ask that you would give us wisdom to learn how to follow you in that way. To find deep connection with your son and with you. And to find deep connection with one another. To find that koinonia that you talk about, the communion that we share, that shines light into our hearts, exposes the sin and the darkness, and offers us freedom and life. I ask you to be with us today as we discern how to live those lives, and as we decide when and how we're going to respond to that call and that invitation And Heavenly Father, we ask this all in your Son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.